Welcome to CME on ReachMD. This episode is part of our Minute CME curriculum and is titled, Defining the Difficult-to-Reach PAH Patient. Prior to beginning the activity, please be sure to review the faculty and commercial support disclosure statements as well as the learning objectives. Hello. Today we're going to be talking about uh, difficult-to-reach populations. This is a big problem in medicine in general and certainly in the field of pulmonary hypertension is trying to take care of some of our patients that are more difficult to reach. And I'm really delighted to be joining you here today. My name is Rich Chanick. I'm a pulmonary hypertension specialist at UCLA Medical Center. And I'm very happy to be joined by my close colleagues, Dr. Gene Elwing, who's director of the pulmonary hypertension program at University of Cincinnati and professor of medicine there, Dr. Oksana Schloben, who is associate professor at University of Virginia and medical director of the pulmonary hypertension program at Inova Fairfax Hospital, and then my close colleague, Dr. Rajan Sager, who is co-director of the pulmonary hypertension and pulmonary endarterectomy program at University of California, Los Angeles. So it's a real pleasure, everybody, to be here. I think we're going to have a really interesting conversation. This is a problem I think that we're dealing with more and more. We're all involved in busy practices in pulmonary hypertension. And I think before we get into some of the specific challenges that we're facing with these populations, let's, I think, try to define what is a difficult-to-reach patient population, specifically as it relates to pulmonary hypertension practices. And maybe we'll just sort of go around because we each work in fairly different sort of settings. And I'd like to hear your perspective about what are your more difficult-to-reach patients. So we'll start with Jean. Thank you. And thank you for inviting us to speak about this important topic. As you said, it is increasingly a problem for us. So I think it is not what everyone thinks. It actually spans many different demographics. And I think we have to ask questions to find out which groups of patients this is. It could be a rural patient that doesn't have transportation or can't get a referral into you. Or it could be the patient that may be right next door in the inner mm-hmm. city who needs to come to you but has no access and no social support to get to you. Mm-hmm. So I think the face of it changes um, as compared to what we used to think an mm-hmm. underserved patient was. Mm-hmm. So in your practice in Cincinnati, give me sort of an example that you faced of like your biggest challenge with a difficult-to-reach So I think our biggest challenges were right at the border of two other states. Mm -hmm. So we um, have challenges getting patients that are um, have insurance that don't have access to us, and we have to work with their insurance to allow them to get to us. And then they may not have the financial support to to have transportation to us. So we have to use this uh, combination of face-to-face visits and telemedicine, which we have to be licensed in those states to be able to provide. Um, and the other patients are the patients that are right next door, that the bus system maybe is not as reliable as we'd like it to be. So I think those are the two biggest groups we have. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Oksana, now there's, you know, geographical issues related to difficult to reach, but then I think there are also other issues that may make it difficult for our patients to get to see us beyond that from socioeconomic. What has been your experience with with some of the other factors involved? So we are in Northern Virginia, and so we are located pretty centrally near a big metropolitan area. Um, Having said that, there are um, definitely areas that are 
um, far away from from the uh, uh, Washington D.C., where patients don't have access to a comprehensive care center. So West Virginia, mm-hmm. some of the areas in Maryland. Um, so you know, some uh, patients don't live too far away, but with a lot of traffic, um, it may take them several hours to drive just fifty miles. Um, so just as Jean said, uh, geographical factors definitely um, uh, uh, define some of these patient populations that may be at risk um, uh, not getting the, the sort of the care that uh, they need. Um, other patient populations that come to mind uh, are non-English speakers. Uh, so it can be um, uh, recent immigrants, for example, um, uh, so, so patients who not only they do not know the uh, um, sort of how to get care because they they don't know the culture, but they also don't speak the language, um, and that becomes a problem because they really don't know how to navigate um, the, uh, the American healthcare system. So you have a fairly diverse patient population and. Yeah, we 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 do we do, um, and with uh, Washington D.C. being an area uh, where there is quite a lot of mobility, um, we we often do do get patients uh, who come in um, uh, who immigrated recently, mm. um, uh, and and they move into sort of into the uh, Washington D.C. area. So we've had patients. Uh, uh, I have a patient right now who doesn't speak any English. Um, has very severe pulmonary hypertension. Um, there, and so it's 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 tough. Um, you need to get interpreters. You you know you you need to make sure that um, they understand uh, the disease. It all requires time. But actually, getting them to to the providers may be an issue because they don't know who to turn to when they even start having symptoms. So you face this problem where the patients end up coming later in the course. Of disease and it, it absolutely can affect uh, the uh, when they're diagnosed. So the delay to diagnosis, but it also can affect uh, the uh, their follow up. So if they do not understand why they need to do the testing and why it's important to do, you know, to come back for a follow up, um, and, and I'm sure that all of us have had situations where. You're there with an interpreter, and you try to break it down and, and explain the situation, and then there is a translation that takes yeah. about a tenth of the time that you just spent, and you're like, did you really just translate what I said? Yeah. And so you, you're just never sure um, what, it, what is being translated and how it's being presented. And so just this, this bond that I think is formed between a physician or a healthcare provider and a patient is 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 much more difficult to um, make and maintain if you don't speak the same language. Yeah, I, I think we all agree to that. And Raj, I mean, we both work in a obviously a very large urban area, a big city in Los Angeles, and um, you know, certainly there's issues related to geography. But I think in in some cases, my experience has been that you know, even as something as mundane as insurance you know, to get the patient to the clinic. And we would like to think that that wouldn't be a limiting factor. But, I mean, you, you've been there a lot longer than me. I mean, have you found that to be a, a factor that's prevented patients from getting to, you know, your clinic? I completely agree. Insurance is a big, a big issue. And, you know, particularly when you know someone 
um, and you get a phone call, for instance, from a, from a referring physician or from a provider that you know who happens to know a patient um, who actually is not doing quite that well at all, in fact, needs urgent or I would say more urgent medical attention for their pulmonary hypertension. And, um, you know, you get this phone call, so you act swiftly and you try to get someone in your clinic sooner than later. And then you find out that there's an insurance uh, issue or snafu. Sometimes you can work that out. Um, and a lot of times it gets stuck in the, uh, in the process, so to say. Um, you know, for some of those patients, uh, especially when we know they're that ill, we'll sort of do something out of the box and just contact the patient anyways and sort of go through the motions and put a note into the computer, which of course, you know, we're not, we're not necessarily, there's no insurance authorization for that, but we try to get something on file and have them present either to the hospital if necessary or locally. So we try to work something out when the insurance is not uh, coming through, but that, 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 that can be a big issue. And in addition to you know, the geography and obviously Los Angeles is, a, is very large and, and the finances of simply coming to the hospital or, present, or coming to the clinic. So if you take that a step further and let's say someone actually um, is got the insurance authorization and, and, and can make it. So obviously we're doing a lot of televisits. Um, but what I've ha- had an issue with, and, and Richie probably um, can attest to this, is, is the whole idea of, of seeing a patient for the first time or, or let's say in follow-up, but let's say the first time and you're sort of scheduled for a video visit, but it turns quickly into a telephone visit uh, because the, either the video system is not working on our end um, or it's not working on their end, um, and then it turns into a telephone visit. And, of course, doing a telephone visit uh, is a whole special... We almost need to be trained on how to do one effectively because there's no... Uh, you can really... You can get through a telephone visit probably in two minutes, or you can do one really effectively. You know, it just depends how detailed you want to get. Um, and then you, when you can't see someone, of course, I think it creates there's other uh, impediments there in terms of you know it just it just compromises. I think the uh, the evaluation. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think we'll talk more in a different segment on technology and how we can hopefully use that to try to solve some of this problem. I mean, very briefly. I mean, obviously, the COVID pandemic has affected our the patient's access to our pulmonary hypertension centers. I mean, Gene, maybe you can tell me what you've seen in sort of the arc. I mean, we started in early 2020, and now we're in early 2022. I mean, has this had a major impact on access to your clinic? I believe it has for us. Uh, it's impacted patients' ability to see their regular providers, and I'm sure you guys have seen that also. So they can't get to their primary care because of how busy everyone is, things are delayed, general care has been delayed, and then that delays them by three to six months getting to us. Um, And so that's been a major problem and resulting in them reaching us later. And then if we run into these access issues, they can't get to us because they can't drive to us or they can't get to us because of insurance reasons. Maybe we'll be pushed back three to four more months Mm -hmm. um, working all of those things out. So it's been a critical problem for us. Yeah. I mean, I, I could just add to that, that my, I mean, I think part of the problem is just the fear factor and um, our patients are, you know, are literally terrified, rightfully so, you know, of leaving their house in some cases, especially early on, um, before vaccination, et cetera. And, you know, but I think a lot of that has carried over that especially some of maybe some of the older patients that, you know, are already kind of difficult to reach sometimes. And, and maybe some of our more socioeconomically disadvantaged people, you know, where there's a real fear of getting anywhere near a hospital. You know, unfortunately, a lot of that's driven by, you know, media and whatnot. I don't know if you've noticed that as well, that fear of 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, seeing you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not that you. We should be careful. <laughs> Uh, yes, uh, I would uh, definitely agree with that. Uh, the uh, patients often are scared to come to the hospital because they think there is more COVID there. Um, they are often scared to come to do testing at the hospital because, again, they think that the exposure to COVID uh, will be greater. Um, so uh, I think I agree with Jean. It's definitely affected um, uh, access to care. So in addition to all of the issues that I think we normally face with uh, some of the hard-to-reach populations, COVID threw in um, another complicating layer on that. I think um, another patient population we haven't talked about, we talked about people who have, uh, you know, they are not allowed to see you because of insurance. And then we have uninsured patients mm-hmm. who just show up in the emergency room. Um, and uh, if, uh, if uh, you know, they are very sick, they often would come to the hospital and maybe then they can get charity care. But, um, and, you know, then um, you can get them into the system and hopefully... Um, catch them at that point, which is probably already too late. But uh, if they just get discharged from the ER, the likelihood is that they are going to come back uh, when they're completely decompensated and maybe, um, um, uh, you know, uh, um, so late in their disease that you cannot um, uh, really do anything to help them at that at that point. I totally agree with that. And the ER has been so busy that they don't have the opportunity and the bandwidth to really tease out these medical conditions. So they are going home more often. Yes. And so then they have to come back again to be... Yeah, I mean, we've had examples of people, you know, going to the ER and they get tired of waiting and they just leave. Right? Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the other thing is the, the, the COVID testing requirements. So if you want to do a test, let's say a heart catheterization or, you know, as you know, the ventilation perfusion scan where, you know, even just the perfusion scan piece, but they're often being asked to get tested, you know, within X amount of time before the test. So there's, so they have to leave their house twice, essentially, you know, and then wait for the test result and before they get the actual test that we're trying to. Yeah. Very good point. So I think that's another difficult piece for them. So, yeah, a lot, a lot of challenges we can define difficult to reach patients in a lot of different ways. And I think it affects everybody who practices pH, whether it's in a rural or urban setting, but it's a huge, huge issue. And some of our other segments will discuss, you know, potential ways to improve this issue and, and hopefully get our difficult to reach patients more access to our, our center. So I'd like to thank you for this sort of interesting and stimulating discussion. And uh, thank you for your attention. You've been listening to CME on ReachMD. This activity is jointly provided by Global Learning Collaborative, GLC, and Total CME Incorporated, and is part of our Minute CME curriculum. To receive your free CME credit or to download this activity, go to reachmd.com slash CME. Thank you for listening.